um, a, a secret pass uh, phrase, uh, the better. And in fact, much, much harder it is for an attacker to try and brute force it. So update your passwords to pass phrases. Perfect. We got Mick in the house. Mick, what's the latest and greatest, man? How you doing, Ravi? It's great to see you again, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, you came on last year when we were at the huddle, um, and I think, and yeah, it was last year or the year before, and we had a great episode where you scared the hell out of us about cybersecurity and how we're all vulnerable. Um, you gave us a great, great, great lowdown on you know things we, be, we have been hearing about in the news about how you know there's all these different kind of uh, vulnerabilities we have uh, in our daily lives, all the technology and how integrated our lives become technology. And uh, the need for us to become more consciously aware. And I really enjoyed that conversation and really appreciate you coming back on to share some more insights. Of course, of course. Actually, um, when we met, we weren't anywhere near the state of affairs that we are now, both mm -hmm. from a, a global health crisis as well as uh, a global security crisis. Um, maybe crisis is a strong word for some, but the reality is we've now become far more vulnerable. Um, and you know, I'm certainly looking forward to engaging with you in this call, just uh, mm -hmm. to get to the details of what's, go what's happened, where we're at risks, uh, and uh, what we should be looking out for as well. Yeah, so I, I really appreciate talking to you because you do two things. You, one, you run your own cybersecurity um, business and software, right? Yeah. And two, you also, uh, do a lot of work with the University of uh, uh, York University's incubator through, you know, Yspace. That's originally where we met as well. So That's you get right. to see a lot of emerging companies, a lot of emerging technologies. And the cool thing is, uh, you know, you know, we obviously we talk to a lot of startups and um, you know, on air and off air. And your name comes up quite a bit, right? I hope, I hope in I hope in good taste. Oh, absolutely! It gives us security, like you know, gives us instant authentication when a company right. hears that you know Mick has been on. Right. Yeah. We actually reached out, um, you know, we started once we started this new uh, format of virtual podcast we, um, and we restarted it in the new year. We you know we in the end of December, we sent out a whole bunch of like shout outs, reach out to companies that we wanted to have on. But we were trying to figure out how to get, you know, better situated and couldn't get on. And they, they came back and said, hey, they, I had the time, you know, so many of them came back. I had the time to actually go through your videos and see that. And, you know, we noticed that Mick was on, you know, that's really cool. He's a really great guy, and at least three, four people this month have mentioned that while we're talking about oh, scheduling awesome. them on. So that's what fantastic. I really appreciate is that you know you have taken the time. You're very well understood in the innovation industry within the GTA region, not just in Markham and York at York University. You know you you established quite a brand, so you know your voice uh, I believe now carries a lot of weight. And one of the issues that are so paramount now, you know, especially now that we're all working from home, not just from our jobs, but you know, even like out of the incubators, no longer working out of there, right? Like we've le left this, the, the at least the permission systems that are controlled by larger inf inf enterprise infrastructure to our home networks that are, you know, nowhere near sophisticated that are, you know, everything's all plug and play and third party applications, third party um, uh, equipment, being, uh, equipment being used. You yeah. know, what's going on? What's the state of affairs? Yeah, no. Uh, so, so first and foremost, thank you so much for the kind words and uh, a, a kind uh, shout out to those who were kind enough to shout out me as well. So, 
since 2020, when we were pretty much going through this whole um, stage of trying to figure out what's going on, and then obviously there was a, a global uh, health crisis at, uh, at, at stake, a lot of the organizations, uh, a lot of companies, but more so from a mandate of all local uh, governments of all levels, local, uh, provincial or state or even uh, national, uh, but governments essentially took the bold and brazen step to say, we have to take control of this uh, virus. So stay home, go home, mm. work from home. Now, what that's done from, uh, from a security perspective is several things. Uh, but first and foremost, I think the first one that needs to be identified is the fact that we're no longer sitting inside of the safe, secure uh, moat. Um, that we were sitting in before. Um, if you think of it from the perspective of you're sitting in, you go into the office, you, you either a plug in or you lift up your laptop or you wire in or, or you sign in, but you're actually signing in within the, the perimeter, the secure, very uh, hardened perimeter of a typical organization. So security is top-notch. Um, yeah, the way it's uh, authenticated, access pr uh, privileges, uh, etc. Everything is defined, everything is understood. And even outside threats coming in, they have to break through the moat. Now what's happened is since we've all been forced home, everyone's working from their home network. Mm. And certainly no one, aside from uh, booting up uh, a router, a wireless router, a Wi-Fi unit, no one is really thinking beyond uh, security, beyond the fact that it's, um, it's the lights are flashing, and all of my other devices are connected. Uh, so that's the first thing. Uh, so we're now working, all of us, all, the majority of us are actually working from environments that are nowhere near secure as the corporate environment. The second thing is um, a lot of companies were actually scrambling trying to uh, provision enterprise level devices, whether mm -hmm. it be a laptop or whether it be a mobile phone, but essentially something that's again hardened for, with security so that when somebody signs in, that they're signing in through a trusted device, that it's secured and it's got all the right protocols to actually make the right connections into the network. The challenge was, um, there was a, for a large number of companies, there was a significant amount of shortages of device. In fact, some companies uh, didn't even have devices. So there was, everyone was scrambling to go and get devices. In many cases, um, companies just had to release their workforce uh, to go home um, because of the sense of urgency, we had a short time, runway to get ourselves organized and prepared. So a lot of employees went home and started using their own personal devices. Mm -hmm. I want to highlight something because this often gets overlooked. When we talk about personal devices, you know, let's not overlook the fact that either a, a company provides a, a laptop um, or not. But most often, companies don't provide uh, other devices that we use to check into work, which is our smartphone. Our smartphone is in fact our own personal device. And um, we don't have uh, hardened or secured uh, uh, protocols on the device. Uh, um, for instance, an MDM, a mobile device management unit uh, that you can actually contain all of your secure applications for network access, uh, files, um, uh, and, and even just reaching out to the office virtually. So the MDMs aren't necessarily provisioned across all devices because it's, it's a personal device. And even just trying to get that done in the, in the wave and the time that we had to all shift from the office to home 
um, there was there was a there was a laggard. Uh, in some mm-hmm. cases, again, I you know there there is a lot of some did and some didn't. Some have, some haven't situations, but effectively, we're in a state of vulnerability because we're operating either a with a uh, an unsecured device, unsecured connection in an unsecure environment, trying to get access to a um, very secure information, files, documents. And in some cases, applications too. So what's happened is with with a state of largely uh, a great part of the world now being forced to work from home, it's actually opened up um, a significant attack surface for threat actors. So if you go back to what I was saying earlier, threat actors would try and break into that one location, the organization, the moat, spend all sorts of time and uh, schemes and tricks and very highly sophisticated as well. But now it's, it's become a little bit easier, but also dispersed. So as opposed to trying to break into one network, now if I'm trying to go after a department, um, well, I've got all the department heads or, or, or bodies sitting at home, I, you know, it's a little bit more easier because, again, security protocols aren't the same when you're sitting in a home network as it is in a, in a, in a corporate network. So that's uh, number one. Number two. Number three is in addition to the fact that um, we're all sitting from home, we've got our third-party devices sitting on the same network. So think of IoT devices. Think of smart speakers. Think of smart Mm -hmm. doorbells, smart this, smart that. All of these devices are sitting on the same network, and they don't have proper security set up first first and foremost. Um, But also, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's incredibly becoming uh, a proven backdoor for threat actors to, to try and figure out, well, there's a targeted uh, uh, attack that I want to do, or I'm trying to get into an organization. Um, they can essentially just work their way through a, an IoT device uh, onto, the, onto the local can home we, network. Can we talk a little bit about, about that? Because, you know, yeah. most of the, most of, there are third-party home speakers and stuff, and I really do not feel comfortable for those who are buying those, but most of the, uh, the home speakers, you know, are run by now trillion-dollar companies. Right, yep. Amazon, um, Google, right, Microsoft, yep. not really Apple, Apple right? Yeah. Um, they they promise a lot of security. Like Google itself promises Titan security, right? It's two billion dollar security infrastructure, so that they are to hack hackers will hack to have to hack to that before they can get to the home device. Yep. You know, so you know, I'm I, I was consciously worried about, you know, two things. One, not Google being penetrated, but my home speaker being utilized by people Google selling dad, data to. But also, yeah. um, like my phone, for instance, your, you know, your devices uh, you know, that have um, a digital assistance, they're logging your keywords while you're talking, trying to look for trigger commands. And right. apps can root that and, and, and discover those components and pull it out. So I'm now super conscious about what apps I even allow on my device. You know, I, I have like a separate tablet that I use for like certain apps, and now my phone, I, I have a clean atmosphere. But when it comes to like smart speakers, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you would think that it's been super securitized by these large firms. Can you talk a little more about the threat there? Like, what what happens? You know, it's it's an it's an ongoing debate when it comes to uh, smart speakers. Um, there are many in the cybersecurity com- community who believe that it is uh, it is highly uh, uh, it is very risky to have at home. Um, mm. But then it, there's a there's a sort of a varied range of discussions and opinions on where and how the threat takes place. 
But let's not overlook the, let's not get actually into the weeds of, well, it happens here, it happens there. The reality is it is, it is very risky um, mm. and it can be, um, it, it can make you very vulnerable as well, largely because uh, conversations can be overheard, um, whether it be between the, the device and the router or the router to, to the network, mm. um, or even at the organization at the server level. Uh, I'll give you a quick um, insight, which is, both Google and Apple have had to defend their positions against smart speakers because it's been discovered over the last two, three years that uh, employees have access mm. to conversations. And while one and or the other company have come out and said, well, we only get access to a snippet or a few seconds of the conversation just to see, just to analyze, just to, to measure, uh, they nonetheless have access. So if an employee has access, uh, the risks are that you can have an internal threat or an external threat. Mm. Um, but even before it gets to uh, the Apples and the Googles and the uh, Alexa servers, um, let's also recognize the fact that these are still electronic devices that are transmitting data points, uh, audio converting into data points and data points converted over to the network. So the vulnerability could in fact lie over between um, at the router level um, or between the router and uh, the, the the network. Now, ideally, uh, and and I would probably um, uh, agree somewhat that the connection between the, the router or the app to the to the network is secured, or it's a secure tunnel. Mm -hmm. But that still doesn't mean that there could be a vulnerability point. Um, at the end of the day, we have seen. Uh, third-party IoT devices, uh, home monitoring, baby monitoring systems, for instance, have been breached. Um, we saw over the last, I want to say, 18 to maybe 24 months where the Ring app was um, compromised. And so threat actors or bad actors were actually um, breaking into, the, in, into individuals' uh, home Ring systems and actually watching them. And then as well as uh, uh, abusing them as well. So mm -hmm. we all sorts of actually, I think that the point is that if it's been done, it can be done. Yeah. And I, I'm less concerned about, I'm less concerned about pointing fingers to say, well, it's your fault, your fault. I think the conversation really is that it's still vulnerable. So my advice uh, that I would offer uh, unwarrantedly, of course, but the advice I would offer is that if you have a smart speaker, Ask yourself if you, do, if you really need to use it. And mm. if you don't, um, either return it or, uh, or, or keep it off as often as possible. Um, if you are thinking about a smart speaker, um, just be very cautious. Don't have it in a room necessarily that can listen to conversations or is waiting to be prompted with a command line because that's still a, a listening mechanism as well. But the other thing I would uh, offer lastly is that if you are a a person of uh, position, authority, but also a, a person or a, a target of interest. And I use the word loosely, or, or at least with a grain of salt. You, you don't want, for instance, a CFO or a CEO or a COO or a CISO, a C-suite executive having a smart speaker. Mm. And most especially uh, in their home office or in the vicinity where they could be ongoing conversations around corporate matter or corp, uh, company um, conversations, sensitive conversations are taking place because that can certainly be captured as well. If you have a smart speaker, 
use it for the time you need to use it and then unplug it. Don't power it off, pull it from the wall socket um, and, and just cut the power and just plug it back in if and whenever you need it next. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm not sure if I mentioned it before to you, but you know, I used to sell smart home, uh, smart home packages. I used to work in the energy industry. I was, I'm, I'm a Google fanboy, right? Everything I have is Google. My the Google Pixel Book, it's my notebook. I have a smart speaker really on my desk, right? The Google's uh, Google uh, Google Home. My routers are the Google network ones, right? Like entire house is networked to that. Uh, and I used to sell this equipment. And two years ago, I unplugged everything. I removed everything out of my house for a good six months to eight months when Google announced that uh, they were taking on that AI project with the Pentagon. Right, they were gonna build the AI, uh, web, the AI technology to manage uh, the Pentagon's new generation of uh, drones, and there was a mass exodus. Google people, there was a lot of uh, people who internally in Google who left in protest to this. Uh, there was a lot of internal memos went out. Google share prices hit, and eventually let go of the uh, the, the project. Uh, they took actually to end up taking it on again later, but at a lower capacity. That was already quiet, but that really spoke to me because they also took off that the the masthead. Um, their slogan, um, don't do evil. Don't, yeah, don't be evil or don't do don't evil. Don't be yeah. evil, right, don't be evil. Yeah. That's been there since uh, historic, historically. And that was like a real signaling thing. I mean, these these large companies, really what they have is trust. They build trust, right? Mm -hmm. And at that point, me as a complete you know, fanboy, Google phone, Google everything, right? if Google made a car, I'd probably buy it, right? Just changed, just everything just snapped for me. You know, the trust was broken because the brand... What, you, what it meant for went away from me, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, these companies, yeah, they spend a lot of money to develop their brand and ideals, but basically that the relationship you have with technology is so intimate that people are naturally falling into these ecosystems, you know? They're calling this like, it's like new medievalism. Just like you would fall under a lord, you fall under like a technology ecosystem. That's Apple people who have everything Apple, who they are enclosed in their ecosystem. Me, I'm, I'm with the Google side. People, lot, yeah. There's a lot more people who are in, in between, who use both or uh, multiple products together and they have their own hybrid systems. But this idea of being completely embraced by technology within a one framework, one platform, one company is becoming more of a thing, right? So talking about these vulnerabilities, there, uh, there are companies who are saying that, you know, rather than, you know, have third party this, third party that, no, have everything within our ecosystem. We have... You know, we be the barrier for you. You trust us, right? And then together, we, we have this closed environment. And it becomes almost like a like a symbiotic relationship between a mm -hmm. human and this entity, this technology entity, right? Like they, they provide a X, we provide a data, and together we collaborate, right? And I think, I think that that's morphing our, our society. It's morphing how, we, uh, how we're developing technology. But is that the best way to move forward? Like, do we develop entities or or bodies that we can actually trust and play a back and forth with us that can handle all components of our life? Or do we ourselves try to become more digital nomads and like become more conscious? And can we expect that from everybody? Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting um, point you're, you're, you're making because I think the overarching debate in all of this is privacy. And uh, while privacy and security work hand in hand, uh, the, the, the big debate is how much of myself and my time and my usage of your service or device are you gathering uh, to monetize? And we've seen that lately. I mean, as we speak here today, in, at, towards the end of January 2021, we've seen in the last several weeks 
another notable company uh, get a severe backlash globally, I might add, on the principles of privacy. Um, if if I'm not permitted to use the name, please feel free to bleep me out. But I would, uh, I'm drawing your attention to uh, WhatsApp, mm-hmm. uh, who recently updated their terms and conditions and privacy updates, allowing Facebook to have access to their data. While the, uh, while the, the, the ongoing debate, and I'll, and I'll wrap up WhatsApp and I'll move back to your question, mm-hmm. but while the ongoing debate is how much of my information are you giving to a company that we don't, that, is in, that has, has proven time and time again that it's taken security not as seriously as it should, um, and I'm referring to its parent company, mm-hmm. um, we've seen a significant um, uh, migration of what I would say loyal users who've actually realized that, wait a second, I don't, you know, if this was just WhatsApp alone, then I could probably live with it. But the fact that you're giving it over to Facebook, one of the largest companies on the face of the earth, um, and, and that is really, doesn't, isn't, isn't necessarily the, uh, the shining example of security and privacy as it's, as it's unfortunately proven over the last while. Given the fact that all this data is going to them, then what am I giving up and what am I not aware of? Mm-hmm. Right? So people have actually stood up and said no. And so because of that, we've seen a mass migration ongoing still as we speak to alternative messaging app, uh, apps as well. Going back to your question, um, you know, while the ongoing debate is around privacy, there's also another um, observation, at least in the privacy and security community, which is we are inherently driving people to um, trade in their their privacy for convenience. Mm -hmm. And even the way just products are uh, are marketed, uh, the way they're sold, the, the, you know, the, the, the bells and whistles of getting um, getting a new device that can do a face recognition to unlock, right? Uh, even just the very principle, that's well, super easy. All you have to do is just do that, but you don't realize actually what you're giving away. Now, I would I would raise um, I would raise the uh, the concern privacy first, which is if you've got a device that's constantly looking to capture a recognized image. Mm-hmm. As you're waving your phone around or your device around, it's obviously trying to figure out, is this what I'm recognizing? Is this what I'm just supposed to be authenticating? So uh, arguably, and I'll say arguably right now because um, organizations and other security uh, professionals would disagree, but arguably it could be understood that it's, it's trying to recognize frames and stitch it together. So who's to say it's actually taking a, you know, it's recognizing the environment that you're in. Right, so there's a privacy mm. um, until it recognizes what it's supposed to recognize, which is your face, right? So then, and then it either unlocks or, or it doesn't. The other argument is is that from from a standpoint of security, that information is sitting somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's uh, whether it's a conversation, whether it's a voice recognition, whether it's iris, face, fingerprint, it's sitting somewhere, and we have seen. Uh, over the last uh, 12, within the last 12 months, uh, research studies done from notable universities across the world. I believe the one I'm trying to perhaps uh, reference, and I'm really bad at remembering things. Uh, I won't. I won't try and. I won't try and call out the name, but it was a university who actually proved 
that they were able to compromise the um, iPhone secure chip, hmm. which actually contains um, uh, encrypted information uh, such as fingerprint, uh, credit card information. It's, of course. It's in, a normal, in a normal conversation, I would say secure enclave, but there's a particular element around the secure en enclave that was proven to be compromised, which, which is alarming because up until now, um, companies uh, such as the large OEMs have rightfully presented themselves believing that they are in fact secure. The challenge is we're as secure as we are until it's been broken. And the effort and time that it takes to break in is happening a lot more faster than ever before. And largely because threat actors, bad actors are highly motivated to either break in and, and get access to a plethora, a universe of data uh, and monetize it. So, you know, the, from a privacy standpoint, we're giving up so much for, mm. for the sell of convenience. But at the same time, when we give it up, we don't know where it's sitting. We don't yeah. know who's accessing it. Is it an internal threat? Is, has an employee gotten really upset with a company uh, and gone rogue? Mm -hmm. um, we've seen that notably with uh, several data breaches. Um, uh, Le Desjardins uh, Bank here in Canada actually took place because of a disgruntled employee. Similarly, with uh, the Capital One breach um, as well, disgruntled employee who, who, who gained unauthorized access in and, and then we knew what happened after that. So while we, while we um, think about smart devices, and I don't have an issue with loyalists of brand or device. I mean, at the end of the day, if a device or a service can make your life um, significantly easier and, and it can complement what you want to do, then that's completely fine. But at least be aware of the risks. And while all of these companies spit out you know, four miles long worth of T's and C's, and at the end you've got a little checkbox to say that I read and I agree, and we, we know that nobody ever reads through the T's and C's. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, while they try and um, um, safeguard their position to say, well, we did put it out there, the reality is it needs to be put out in, in it needs to be highlighted. And I would probably, I probably take the position as similarly to what you see on uh, cigarette packets, you know, very, very straight to the point effects of smoking. Uh, we should probably consider having something like that on uh, on on uh, services as well, which is you could give away your uh, your fingerprint or your voice or your face or whatever it may be, but know you know in big bold letters that these are the top five risks. You could be you could be uh, you could have a, a sniffing or spoofing inside of your network. Uh, you could have your information uh, uh, compromised or um, unauthorized access into. X, Y, and Z, but I think people should be aware because the truth of the matter is when I'm sold a device, I'm sold as a consumer on what it can do for me, but the inherent risks aren't sold because there's a risk. And if I, if I knew what the risks were, then obviously there's a, you know, I might not buy it. Companies don't see it that way. It's all about profit. Mm -hmm. They, they want to appease their, uh, their shareholders, uh, appease the market and to some extent, I, I can see why they do it. Do I agree with it? Mm, I would say I'm on the fence. But I think first and foremost is user experience. And I, I don't agree with trading off user experience, privacy, and security for convenience. I think you can, you can change the paradigm. You can change the mindset of the market by saying, mm -hmm. we've done this, but we're doing this because we believe you should be secure. Yeah. 
So, I mean, a few things to digest there. Um, love the fact you brought up WhatsApp because that is definitely a modern day concern. Um, I believe I believe, I believe Facebook has, it, it, you know, done um, done the worst business move possible, which is they lost the trust of a billion people uh, just by not securitizing the, themselves. You know, Facebook at, at a time was one of the very very trusted brands. People were super happy that you can use a service like that. And now, through a series of miscalculated moves. Um, they are they lost that brand new loyalty. They've lost all all all, all, um, all trust. But based on that, like I think that the model has become now is you know you talk about privacy, but I think it's really about data, right? Privacy becomes an issue when the data is unsecured and become and I'm seen. And that data could be you know what you're typing to like what you're saying through to speech, um, through you know your facial recognition software, you know your, uh, to your facial structure and all that. Right, so it's a data and who gets it and where it's stored and where it's going. That's a real key, and I think that that is the the main key key point there. Right, it's like how do we securitize data better? Um, one of the things I, I'm really um, uh, positive about is um, I'm following the works of Tim Berners-Lee, the founder of the modern internet. Um, you know, who, who pretty much brought up brought the HTML protocol to the world out of the CERN. He's at, back at it again. He has a new project out that's targeted specifically at this. So his solution is that, you know, to companies now, the, the model has become, we provide you with hardware or a software to give you convenience factor. In turn, we get your data, which we apply it to, uh, intelligence on to make us better, make our algorithms better, make our software offerings better, uh, provide internal le learnings, and also provide external uh, capabilities. So the amount of data a company gets is directly proportional to how much intelligence it can uh, it can create and capture, which directly is proportional to how much value it can offer, right? So a large behemoth like a Google can't be outcompeted because they have so much data collection, they have their own ecosystem. That's why they have that trillion dollar offering, right? Um, that, right? And and so going back to that, how do we, like his his solution is thinking about how can we decouple data from applications? So instead of an application is going there and then you know being utilized by you and taking all the data into into back to its its home server, how do we keep the data with the person and the the the, the software or the system interfacing with the data that you still maintain control of? So he's developing called a solid protocol. It's just like how HTML you know in, like you know created networks uh, net, uh, provide integrated networking between websites, right through this protocol. It's a new kind of protocol for apps where he's creating something called pods, where a, a user, each time a user is created, they have their own pod that the user then has control over, and all data is stored there by the app locally, and then that pod gives access to that home server to access that server, but the user can cut it off at any one time. Now, the app can have its own copy used locally, but one the, 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 the home base of that data stays with the user within their pod, and it's controlled by the user. End of the day, and mul and if multiple apps are connecting that pod, right? That one app, each individual app can only have access to the data that it collects and it utilizes, unless it asks for higher permissions, which you give it. But that pod now becomes you as a person now have leverage, right? Data has become the new leverage, just like capital used to be. So now instead of the companies all just taking it away, taking it away from you, and you're you know data being considered new oil, you're just being mined, right? Mm -hmm. You're now a reservoir collecting it. Now, as more tools you use, more data is being collected from, out of you and created and mined out of you. It actually pools into your reservoir first and you give access to everybody else, right? And I believe like that type of framework, you now empowering the individual, decoupling the data, 
would you know change the market competition again. Now the competition is in in the favor of the the creators, the, you know the technology maker, uh, technology uh, technologists to create the most convenient solutions, the best solutions to target the customer, use it so we can get you know create that, get mine the data from them, but also get access to their data, and then uh, make use that to feed their intelligence system, right? Yeah. So it keeps the onus on the t- technologists to have best practices while protects and ultimately empowers the consumers, right? Who now have this vehicle for also producing internal wealth, like through data? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not. I'm not actually very familiar or close to to that uh, project at all, so I won't be able to speak to it yeah. uh, intellectually. Um, but I will say, based on what I've heard from you, and and thank you so much for sharing, and you did a good job, by the way, uh, sort of summarizing that. Uh, what I would say to you is, um, while it seems that there's an initiative to decentralize or defranchise. Uh, the 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 location of data and who owns it, and while it's it seems to me that it's uh, it's set up with with good intention, I think the challenge that I would probably see at this point, just based on what I heard, is uh, is probably two things. Uh, one, if the if the data and the permissions are set locally on a on a local machine or a local device, um, then it won't take too long for a threat actor to break in and reset those permissions or, or gain access to it. Right? And we've seen it all too often with even just our uh, devices being ransomware, uh, encrypted and locked up, or even just um, having things missing on our, on our machines. Uh, so that'd be the first one. So uh, local, local uh, device level attacks. <clears throat> the second part is, and, and this probably is what I would spend um, a little bit more time and effort on trying to figure out is, if you're then expecting your market base to be uh, in control of who has access in and somebody's asking for permission to do this, well, how many times have we actually seen something pop up on our devices and we don't, we really don't understand too much about it. And then we just go ahead and either a cancel it. Uh, and then we realize, Oh yeah, I shouldn't have canceled that because it's, it's now cutting back the service or it's not, not letting me have access to X, Y, and Z. But also, how many times have we seen a notification come up and we'll just blindly just uh, take a fleeting glance and just accept it? Mm-hmm. So I think it comes down to actually educating the users on, on bringing them up to par with the sophistication of such a service. And I'm using the word sophistication because if, a, if an intelligent platform is going to then knock on the door and say, hey, uh, Ravi, do you mind if I come in and access your kitchen? Uh, you want to you want to believe that that's a trusted person on the other side of the door. You wouldn't let any stranger come in. But if you don't know who the stranger is, uh, you know that could be a problem. But if you're in a rush or you're not spending too much time, you still don't know who that person is. Well, that's still a stranger than making access uh, into your house all the way to the kitchen. So I think I think there needs to be some level of um, rising of uh, um, uh, awareness, education, training at the user level. Because the reality is we've got different generations who are actually uh, privacy savvy. Uh, I think for the large part, most of us are tech savvy, but we've got, we've got generations who just don't care about privacy. Mm-hmm. And we, we see that with, with the, uh, the mass consumption of social media platforms from, uh, you know, I, I won't name them all, but you know, from, from one to the other, we've got different age groups who are using it. And if you, think, if you stop and ask them about, hey, did you think about your privacy? It would just probably shrug it off and say, I, I really don't care. But what they don't realize is that data is being collected from the time that they've enabled that device or that app or that mm-hmm. service. 
until they eventually get off. So let's just say that it's two, five, ten years or so. But that's very intimate personal content and data that's being generated, which actually is the metadata of that individual. Now, the concern I have just on the note of metadata is that metadata is far more richer and accurate than even knowing you as a person. Mm. Metadata can allow through predictive analytics AI uh, what your next desire, step, action, purchase, behavior could be based on what they've determined on past. So if, if, you've, got, um, if, you've, if you've got an application uh, that is uh, sophisticated, you need to raise the awareness and the learning of, uh, of what that entails. There's, there's several companies out there who are, are somewhat um, building up or are suited up in, in a similar fashion mm. uh, where they're creating a central hub so that anytime um, a service um, wants to access your data, they will go to the central hub, but that you would somehow be asked, do you mind if uh, company X, Y, and Z access your data for X, A, B, and C purposes? Well, if you're aware of it, that's great. Uh, and yes, while it might give you the sense of control, um, again, I go back to the first point, which is, well, how do we know then our devices are secure enough that it's not being falsified or it's, it's, uh, there's, a, there's a, um, a compromise on the device that's actually just going ahead and, and accepting it. All right, so mm -hmm. if now you're decentralizing and, and, and moving all the information to local, local level devices, then I would also raise another concern yet again, um, which is threat actors and, and the uh, and, and the cybersecurity the security threatscape has proven that time and time again, with the evolution of new variants or brand new malwares and cyber attacks and, and viruses, um, it, it you know we'll, we'll we'll be back to square one again. Now, mm -hmm. to compound all that let's not overlook the fact of where we're heading to technologically too, right? We're getting into very much comfortable states for um, state of affairs for uh, artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Quantum computing power is not that far behind. In fact, some would say it's here already. It's just arrived uh, at a mass level uh, and, and greater computing power. And we're seeing platforms that are even now um, 5G, for instance, uh, super light speed. And we're seeing packets being shrunk considerably, uh, making it move around a lot quicker and, and through less, less uh, payloads too. Um, so with everything compounded, um, I appreciate and I, and I think it's great that we are thinking about how do we disperse uh, privacy and, and, and uh, authority. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's a few things that we have to get into place before we can actually sit back and say, yes, we've got it. Because I truly believe we'll never, we, we, it, it's very unlikely that we will ever, quote unquote, have it. Mm -hmm. um, we're always going to be playing, um, um, you know, cat and mouse with, uh, with threat actors and, and non-threat actors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, you touched on that great part there, right? Like, you, you know, you circle on privacy a lot. And this, is, this takes me back to um, a conversation I heard with uh, Yuval Harris and um, Tristan from the Humanity Forward project, I think. Have you watched the the the, the documentary on Netflix, uh, the the Social Dilemma? Yes, I have. Yes. Yeah. So the guy behind that is Tristan. Um, he was previous Facebook left based off of all the all the work he did there, and you know he got a lot of flack from his colleagues for uh, throwing the industry under the bus for what they can do. 
uh, I want to send you this podcast. Him and Yuval Harris, who's uh, probably probably the best historians, like neurohistorians of our time, is uh, discussing this. And they're talking. So the the title of the podcast is Two Million Years of Human History in Two Hours." Uh, and they talk about human development, but also with the focus of technology. And a few key points. Tristan was talking about how you know we are woefully unaware of the levels of intelligence that can be applied in our data. So you know, what you're talking about, people be generations being different with our data. Gen Z, you know, do not care. They they've grown up social media natives, just like yeah. you know uh, the millennials grew up internet natives. They're social media natives. They're used to giving their data. They don't care. They're like, okay, you're going to take my data. So what? What does that mean? Absolutely. But looking into it, you know, there are now. Uh, like there are now um, what's it intelligences out there, right? That have been created that they can look at a video of a, a argue, uh, of a um, a couple, right, talking for 30 seconds on mute, no audio, and just by uh, just by body language, the system has gotten so good enough, looking at human behavior so good enough that it can determine with a 70% chance uh, of uh, proficiency if that couple's gonna stay together or not. And and how long could they stay together just by their body language, by looking at patterns, patterns that naturally exist, but we might not be consciously aware of, but it's been picked up, we had to pick up. So we have this natural affinity thing that, oh, yeah, machines are really good at being machines. We're human. We're naturally better humans. The problem is that line is interfa- interfacing where, mm-hmm. where machines are getting better at understanding humans better than humans are. And they can then mm-hmm. therefore manipulate humans at a wider degree. And uh, Yuval Harris is talking about the history of that, you know, like looking at the communist communist or like um, like very uh, controlled systems, right? Centrally controlled systems uh, of the Cold War era, right? If the government wanted to spy on you, you, you would they would have to like assign an agent to every single uh, person in the population to follow them around and 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 capture them, right? And then that person will take a report that someone else will have to refine and, and create some intelligence out of it. Now, right. what these systems do. Is allow for that kind of you know methodology to be employed much more ra- drastically, and I think that's what we're seeing now with like that's what, uh, the weaponization China has been done with data and, and 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 AI, right? The average Chinese citizen is completely fine with it. You know they trust the government, therefore they trust the data collection. It's like we trust our bank not to like not have our money, right? We just got a custom when we have capital when we when we get a paycheck we just put it in the bank. Because it's it's it, that that trust is there. It's an institution. So China has institutionalized data collection and and, and deployment of intelligence on that data, so the people where it can fully trust it. You know, as a trust of of a government institution behind it. So I think I think the main thing is talking about the evolution and co-evolution of of technology and humanity, right? Where we can go and where it is going. And you talked a lot about training, right? Like deploying mm-hmm. training people. Now, is it enough just to deploy, like, you know, in schools, you know, have a class on, like, privacy and what that's going on, where most of the kids will probably roll their eyes and be like, yeah, I'm on social media, <laughs> right? Like, uh, they, 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 they personally don't aren't feel committed to it. Or do we institutionalize an environment where people become more capable of understanding data? You know what I mean? Like, if we institute from a younger level, just like we, we teach cursive writing to kids, we teach, you know, how data moves, how to read data packets, how to how to, how technology interfaces, right? I think the real 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 solution to this is how do we blend ourselves better with our machines and get us to understand that we live in this blended environments. That's a, that's a really good question, um, and I believe, and this is a personal belief of mine, that it should be done from both ways, uh, yeah. top up and uh, top down. 
so top uh, from top down uh, at the at the federal levels, it should be part of a legislation or a movement of legislation bodies mm-hmm. that actually come in and start getting a lot more tighter on on how data is is collected and for what purpose and and how machines interface with that too. Uh, but also, I think it's very important to have it from build up from the grassroots systemically for generations to come that, you know, as part of, part of a, a class module or part of a course or part of uh, education awareness, mm-hmm. uh, it's important for, uh, for generations to understand what they are about to give up. Mm. Um, we've inherently, as human beings, you know, while we're incredibly social uh, animals on, on this great uh, blue dot in, in, in the middle of this vast universe, We've also, while we're being very social, but we also like to have our own privacy too, right? Which is why we have yeah. doors, we have walls that you can't see. None of us live in glass houses per se. Uh, you know, we, we all have the sense of, uh, I want to keep my, my matters to myself. But if you've got machines that are actually reading body language, and, you know, when, while, as you were saying that, I was absolutely agree with you because I think, I think the number is something like uh, only 7% of communication is verbal. Mm-hmm. Right, so everything else is nonverbal. So that that absolutely does make sense to me. Which is then, you know, there's lots of there's lots of movements on the body and and uh, and 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 how we react to a situation. That's very telling. But if machines are actually reading that, um, at, at what point does it stop? At what point does it stop? Right? Do we then become slaves of the machines? Mm. Um, and, and do we all of a sudden find ourselves waking up one morning with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator running around and trying to, trying to handle business? I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, you, you know, it, it kind of goes back to, uh, to something that you said uh, not too long ago, which is while we have all these uh, um, services, computing power, um, abilities, you know, the, the argument is that we, don't, we should not trade off the integrity of us, whether it's our privacy, whether it's us as human beings, f- trading it off for convenience. Because what's going to happen is that we're going to diminish, we're going to lose, we're going to erode all sense of privacy, all sense of self, all sense of self-governance. Um, and, and that's going to be worrying. Uh, something that just popped into my head as, 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 as I think about this is in, in, in the tech uh, space, you know, we, 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 we see there's a new emerging um, uh, area called legal tech. And what legal tech is, mm-hmm. uh, is bringing in are capabilities of, for instance, rewriting contracts, mm-hmm. rebooting contracts based on AI. Um, who's to say that we're going to see the next iteration of that, of writing legislation? Uh, but if you think about you know the human element, well, that's all eventually going to erode and be taken out. And now, if we're go- going to be governed by AI and software, that in itself is a is a very strange um, uh, space to be in, space and time. But let's not also look at the fact that everything is software based. Mm. So if it's software, then we're going to have people breaking in and building it or rewriting it or reconstructing it to their advantage. So is that, is that right? You know, so uh, at the end of the day, for now, we are somewhat uh, accountable to between uh, person to person. Um, and we have that sense of self-identity. We have a sense of shame as well because we're humans. We have a sense of pride. We have a sense of governance. But if all of a sudden that disappears and now we're just answering to um, – I'll just say it for the sake of it, you know, Windows version 20.5 uh, because it's in the future. 
uh, or whatever it may be, then then who's governing that? And who's who who are the who are the lords of that? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know it, it it it's actually again it it can be it can be uh, it can be useful to have, but it could also be very scary. Yeah. I, I certainly wouldn't want to be governed by a machine or a code telling mm-hmm. me on what I have to do and 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 whatnot. Um, so yeah, it's. Um, so I, I think I think what we're seeing is is a movement in uh, a rapid uh, movement in in um, uh, um, time and even vastness as well of space of uh, technology. And while I while I sit back and I see all of this massive change at accelerated at accelerated speed and pace, um, I'm marvelled by what's happened. I really am. But mm. at the same time, I'm a little bit skeptical of what's a what's going to ultimately happen. I mean, we've heard quotes from Elon Musk who have uh, gone out and said that this is uh, a pretty scary landscape to be in. If we don't take care, care of it now, uh, we could set ourselves up for big failure and big issues later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so in, in, in a nutshell then, Ravi, very quickly, you know, maybe I should be, maybe we should be looking to the, uh, to the Elon Musks of the world uh, to, to get a sense of direction as to what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think that's that's something that needs to be changed because, you know, like going back to that trust factor, right? If our privacy is always at risk and we don't trust the the systems in B, then, you know, we naturally then hold off data, right? Rather than, you know, think about it, what for a free market uh, economy, especially around data and uh, around technology, what would you rather have? Would you feel like the individual being like they're trying to shield themselves and trying to limit their data, whereas the companies are trying to like, you know, entice them to get data from them all the time? Right? Or would you want people to feel like, oh, they're empowered by it, they're secure, and they're safe, therefore they give it out willingly? Right? So I think the feedback mechanism there is how do we create an a, 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 a environment of trust and agency so that you know, everyone benefits? I mean, companies do benefit. When we, everyone benefits when people have privacy. Right? People are more willing to interface the technology. People are more willing to, you know, pr- provide data, uh, you know, if they have, uh, they have the, the security behind it. And then the companies who interface with them or the technologies interfacing them get benefit out of that. So it's like a hybrid. It's, like a, it's a synergistic environment, right? So does I think, I think the thing is, do you see a credence in like Canada ever developing like a ministry of technology or a ministry of data, right? And that takes on the the like from a governmental level, institutional level of looking after everyone's data privacy and security from like the individual point of view, right? And why haven't we seen an emergence of that yet? Yeah, no, that's uh, again, another great question. Thank you for these great questions. Um, So can I see it? Yes. Um, Can I see it in Canada? Can I see it in in other markets as well? Absolutely, yes. and, And should it be there? I believe if we haven't already discussed it, uh, or, or spoken about it, we definitely should be. And if we have already spoken about it, then we should be moving towards it. Why? Um, I, I cannot answer that. I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a politically loaded question um, that I certainly am not qualified to, to mm. respond to. But let me, let me say that we should. While I say that, um, you know, let's not forget the old adage of um, uh, money talks, uh, bullshit walks. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, everybody has to follow the money. And unfortunately, that's that's the way we have for the last several generations have been, um, um, you know, it's been ingrained that uh, 
money is is essentially what makes the world go round. Now, it would be great to have a utopian environment and a time and space where everybody is protected, everyone's able to safeguard their privacy, their data. Uh, we're not run by machines. It's uh, it's a quote unquote normal and beautiful world. But you know, there's also a risk that it could be very dystopian too, because now as as shareholders and and stocks and trades and uh, and 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 as really money is the governing uh, principle behind all of these intentions, um, that could actually change how we are today to where we potentially could be going. Um, but I would certainly encourage uh, the right bodies in, in various markets and, and jurisdictions to certainly start talking about how do we protect, what are we doing, how are we holding companies accountable? It's not enough to say that we find, and I'll, I'll, use, I'll use an example, um, uh, uh, not, not in bad taste, but just to drive a point. We're, we're not going to find one of the largest companies on the planet, face, of the, face of the earth, Facebook, who makes hundreds of billions of dollars um, each year. We're not going to charge them $50 million because that's chump change. Mm -hmm. We need to really hit them where it hurts, right? We need to really get the attention of, of senior executive officers, not because we've got anything against them personally. No, this is about the principle of every, every human being mm -hmm. who interacts with your, with your product. Example, as a, as a C-suite, are you running around completely making your information available to anyone then why if not then why are you expecting or, or are you okay with the fact that somebody else either is willingly doing that or unknowingly doing that and i think the unknowingly is a bit more um unsettling because they haven't been informed properly so is that misinformation uh, is that poorly educate poor education uh, I don't know. I mean, we, this is something that we have to look down. And your earlier question, and I'm, I don't know if I completed it uh, thoroughly, was how do we address uh, the system uh, for, for data collection and privacy and, and security too? Well, as I said earlier, it needs to be, it needs to be ushered in from, from the federal levels top down. It also needs to be brought in from bottom up. And if we can meet halfway, I would say in a generation or two, we would be far more uh, aware and educated um, of what we're about to give up at what risk as well. Uh, yeah, I think it goes back to that, right? You're completely right. It comes from the people who's willing, who's willing to make the changes um, and also spread the awareness and as well from institutions who see the benefit of that. And I think we'll naturally fall into that environment moving forward. Um, you know, I know I'm conscious of our time here, and I want to touch base with uh, what you're doing with uh, uh, IMI, right? You're, you personally are yeah. you know, very vested in um, securitizing people and information. Can you talk a bit more and give us an update about uh, what's going on there? Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for, for this opportunity. So with IMI Authentications, uh, for those who aren't aware, we're uh, a cybersecurity company that specializes in access management, secure access management. And that what essentially what that means is allowing, whether it be employees to onboard or get into the network, uh, sign into work, or um, super users or um, um, uh, users with high privileges to sign to uh, critical applications infrastructure or better known as the crown digital crown jewels of, of an organization, but also customers too. So customers signing into their accounts, whether it be banking, insurance, retail, health, uh, education, whatever it may be. 
so what we're doing, we've, uh, we've, we've, we are constantly uh, engaged with, uh, with the market. We're seeing everything that's going on. Um, one thing that we've always done is we've, from the get-go of the inception of our company, we took a bold position to never, ever touch or get exposed to personally identifiable information. And that is uh, your name, your address, your email, your phone number, your date of birth, credit card information. And depending on what is asked of you that could be tied back to you, uh, we, just don't, we just don't care to touch it. So with what we've, t- uh, what we've built, we've actually tokenized. We've tokenized uh, user profiles. So in, our, in, in the IMI ecosystem, as transactions take place, we will never see a uh, Ravi uh, Ravindran in our network. What we will see is a large string digit token that represents your profile, but we don't know who you are. And we've, we've essentially made transactions that way. So we've authenticated you coming into a network and we say, we, we inform the, um, the, the client that, um, actually, let me, let me take a step back. The way it's set up is that it's set up inside of the client environment. The client actually sends us a prompt to go and get authentication. And so we'll route out to you through a series of secret sources and codes that we put in. And we're able to uniquely connect with you. You then respond to an authentication. Um, and the authentication could be done through um, a form of a biometric uh, or a push or, or even passwordless as well. Uh, and then we'll route that back to our network, back over to the client. And as far as we're concerned, in all of the transactions that take place, it's just a series of tokenization values that go through. So that's what we've done from from get-go, and we're we're, we're enjoying uh, the eye of the storm, especially now that we're all in uh, work-from-home uh, mandates and lockdown. So it's been very useful to uh, to uh, a large number of uh, companies who want to protect remote access getting in. Uh, but we're also... Uh, changing um, changing the, the market a little bit because now what we are doing is we're making our application entirely available as an SDK, which means now organizations can actually integrate this authentication application into their environment and actually start building up their own zero trust. And when I talk about their and own, um, what I'm really uh, pointing out is that other authentication companies actually require some form of information or, or personally identifiable information being registered and sitting on their stack. We're saying to clients in our position is it's your user base, it's your data, it's not ours. All we want to do is just is provide a service that can authenticate in real time. And so we've made IMI available as an SDK so companies can actually build it in and have their own 2FA inside of their own environment, which is remarkable, which is really exciting. The other thing also is part of the, the value proposition of what we do is that we enable users to have real-time uh, identification, detection, um, prevention, and immobilization capabilities of an attack. So for instance, Ravi, if, um, if a threat actor came in and tried to compromise your network or your, your credentials, you would be able to see it instantly. You would be able to confirm that, yes, this isn't me signing in. Uh, you will be able to prevent it, but you'll also be able to immobilize it from future attacks too. So essentially, a threat actor should not and will not be able to get in using your credentials because you'll be in charge of it. And then we've got other things on the back end that actually take uh, the next steps in further securing uh, the environment too. So we do that from getting into the network all the way to the, uh, the, the crown jewels or the critical infrastructures, as well as customers trying to sign into their accounts as well.
that's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I mean, is that similar to a VPN? No, not at all. Not at all. So virtual private network is basically having a secure tunnel from, let's say, your your local machine or your local device into a secure environment. Um, and it's it's not about a VPN per se. It's a little bit about what you were talking about earlier on with that uh, that initiative, where they're creating, you know, the the disenfranchising um, uh, privileges for people to say, yes, you can access my information. It's a little bit similar to that in the sense that we're now we're now informing you in real time that somebody's trying to access your account. Somebody's trying to, some, there's a signing taking place. Is this you? Now you will know intelligently and emotionally that, yeah, I'm not signing into my network or my bank account or my health account or my insurance account. You know instinctively that that's not you. And so we, uh, we enabled you then, the user, to immediately identify and detect that and then also prevent it. So no one's going to get into your secure environment using your credentials. So what we've effectively done is that we, we recognize that you cannot ever uh, – uh, let me rephrase that again. You should, it's very, very hard to secure uh, and safeguard usernames and passwords. But what we can do, we can make it redundant in real time to the threat actor by giving you that real-time empowerment. So it's, it's, we're basically shifting the control. And we're giving users uh, a capability that even threat actors don't have, which is true real-time empowerment. Perfect. And if people want to hear uh, more about that, they can find it out more information on your website, right? Absolutely. IMI, is it imi.com? It's, it's, it's useimi.com. That's U-S-E-I-A-M-I.com. Be more than happy to engage with anyone who's interested. Perfect. Mick, this has been great. Um, this hour kind of flew by. I, I, I feel like there's a lot more we can discuss and go into. There's lots a few cases. More. Lots more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, we'd love to get, you know, again, have you come around for round three in, in the next few months and see, you know, as, as developments go into 2021, hopefully things are much less bleak in 2020. But, uh, yeah. you know, if there's any major cases, I would love to bring you on and talk more about it. And again, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for your time. Before we leave, actually, if you don't mind, I have a few uh, tips for any users or listeners out there oh, yeah. to further secure their, their, their environment. So number one, move away from passwords. Passwords, typically, we've just been, it's just a way that we've been uh, raised to think about words. We think of short words. Change it from passwords to passphrases. Uh, the longer that we have uh, a, um, a secret passphrase, uh, uh, the better. And in fact, much, much harder it is for an attacker to try and brute force it. So update your passwords to passphrases. If you haven't already, find out if your service provider is offering a f any form of two-factor authentication, even if it's the, the ones that, that even on our website that we, we, we identify is uh, not so good. It's better to have something than not. And very frequently, please, please, please go into your browser setting on your um, on your on, on, on your machine, whether it's uh, Google Chrome, Windows, or Safari, or, or, or another, clear out your cache. Clear out your cache. Um, that's also very important too. Those are the three immediate things that I want to part with. And if anybody wants to learn a little bit more about how to prevent ransomware attacks or protect their RDPs or VPNs, we'd be more than happy to engage. And Ravi, thank you so much for this opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Really appreciate you having uh, coming on. Stick around for a few minutes. We'll do a quick debrief. But everyone yeah. stuck around. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks.